And welcome to everybody that's watching online or listening by podcast. Uh, today, Rock City Church is finishing up a seven-day corporate fast. And I want to start off by saying thank you to everybody that took the time to fast. Uh, there's a lot of you that fasted for the very first time or had uh, never pushed yourself to the extreme that you did this last week. And I want to say thank you. Rock City Church is believing for a lot of things in our future. We're believing not only for the money to come for the build-out and the expansion and the roof, but more than that, we're believing for the hurting and the broken and those that are in desperate need of life and health to come here. So I want to really say thank you for all of you that contended during this last week for our fast, which ends today. For those of you that didn't fast, what I want to say to you is there's no shame. And please do not feel guilty or any condemnation. Many of you work jobs where it's difficult to fast or you have to take medications or physically you're not feeling well. Uh, or you just didn't have the grace to do it. You know, I've done enough fasts in my lifetime to learn not to get upset with people when they don't do what I think they should do. And I want you to know that by being a part of this family, it blesses me, it blesses us, and it positions all of us, whether you fast it or not, for what God's going to do in our future. Amen? I want to say this to you before we uh, actually conclude the fast, because if you didn't fast, I've got great news for you. There will be another corporate church fast this fall. We fast as a church corporately twice a year, and I would like to ask all of you to just go ahead and prepare your heart right now, because right before the holidays, we will have our next fast. It's a corporate fast. But I want to encourage you to not just fast when we're doing it corporately. Fasting should be a lifestyle. Intermittent fasting can not only have incredible health benefits for your body physically, but it has incredible benefits for you spiritually. And I want to show you just briefly what some of those are in Isaiah chapter 58 and how that applies to us. Isaiah 58, verse 6, prior to verse 6, the Lord's talking about all the reasons why you shouldn't fast and the fast that he doesn't like. And then in Isaiah 58, 6, the Lord says this, is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free? and that you break every yoke. Now, I love that because I love to break yokes off of people's lives, unhealthy yokes. I love to break demonic oppression. I love to help people see who they are. I love to loose the bonds of wickedness and to help those that are being bound down in bondage to bad mistakes themselves or the enemy, whatever your situation is, I love that. And the Lord says that fasting has this incredible ability to break the yoke of wickedness and bondage in our lives. And what we're doing here at Rock City is helping people that are coming consistently, that are struggling in their homes, their marriages, they're spinning out on drugs and alcohol. We're having children that are being raised in some very difficult situations, coming with single parents that are having to carry all the load and all the weight, and they need help. Jesus said in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said, the Lord has anointed me, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to set the captives free, open blind eyes, break out deafness from people's ears, and see people step into the liberty and the freedom that he has for them. People are in prison in their mind. People are in prison in their mind. You know, you can be out of prison and in prison. I know firsthand. I've been in both places. And in prison, I met some of the most on-fire Christians that loved Jesus, that discipled me and mentored me in an incredible way. And I've met people out of prison that are locked up in the prison in their mind. And so fasting is important. It's a difficult discipline, but it's a discipline that with grace and strength 
can bring phenomenal rewards to your life. Let me keep reading. Verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. So I'll break this down in two parts. Go back a slide. What, what's going to happen is that people are going to be coming here hungry and thirsty and desperate for spiritual food. Not only do we help the poor and the needy out on the streets, which we do a lot of things to help the poor and the needy, but there's also spiritually poor and needy. And what happens is, is that God gives you bread to give away to other people. God gives you something to give away to other people. And what he's saying is that when we make the sacrifice, we position ourselves to give something away to somebody else. And then he makes this powerful statement. This, is, this one is powerful. He says, when you see the naked that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. You see, when you're properly covered, you can properly cover other people. But if you're walking in hidden areas of shame or you're uncovered, you will actually draw back when it comes time to help somebody else. Let me give you an example. If I was battling pornography personally, which I'm not, thank God, but if I was and somebody comes to me for desperate help for pornography, which people do all the time, and I want you to do that, come and get it out in the light and let's just talk about it. I'll give you a big hug and we'll start the process of freedom. We gotta break shame out and get you into the light. But think about it if I was struggling with it myself and the advice that I would give or the retreat that would happen inside of me if I haven't been set free from it. You see, the church has to be a hand up more than a hand out. And we have to be in a place where we can pull people up and out of their hurt and pain. Notice it says when you see people naked. The truth is, is I mean, it's been a while since I've seen a streaker. But they're around every now and then in this area, okay? I just pray they don't come streaking in here. We've almost had it happen, just so that you know. What you have to know and understand is that people, when they see their nakedness, they're full of shame. That's what happened from the fall of the garden. But when you get born again, you get properly covered. And now what happens is I can cover you. You understand? But, but notice it says very, very clearly that I don't hide myself from my own flesh, right? You know the narrative of the world today? Naked and ashamed. That's the, that's the narrative. No, the show's naked and afraid. <laughs> You've been watching that show? We gotta have a conversation. <laughs> but the, listen to me. Anybody without Jesus is naked and ashamed. Anybody. Even if they think they've got it all together and they're confident, I'm telling you, the only real true covering comes from the Lord, and he's the only one that can break shame, fear, and all the things that are associated with it. All right. Now, here's the reward of fasting. This is why I want to encourage you, as we're finishing, to stay the course, but to have intermittent fasting. I don't just fast the twice a year. Sometimes I skip a meal, I'll skip a lunch, I'll go spend time with Jesus instead of, eat, I'll eat from his word instead of eating from a plate. There's times that the Lord says today, see, you need to be spirit-led in your fasting. I knew when the Lord was saying it was time to fast. I knew it. And so more often than not, my flesh is running the show. My soul is hungry. My appetite, my belly is raging. And the Lord's like, it's time to fast. I'm like, all right, Lord. And so you can fast intermittently and on your own. And here's an incredible reward of fasting. And it's a reward that we're going to see here at Rock City. Okay? Okay. 
Verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the morning, your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer, and you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Fasting is a very important discipline that comes from a desire to know the Lord more. It comes from a desire to be in greater position. And so consider between now and the fall, on occasion, especially if you're going through crazy things in your mind, we're teaching about mental illness in a series right now. And as I teach it, it's so important to me that you do the things that need to be done in your personal life, which I'm going to share a lot of things today that are very practical. And I want to encourage you to take the steps and do the things, and fasting is an important discipline. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for everybody that is listening by podcast or watching on YouTube. I thank you for their lives and wherever they live, Lord, I ask that you'd help them to find true community and family and to flame on spiritually, even if they feel like they're in the desert. Lord, you make highways in the desert. You make rivers in the desert. And even in dry places, you can raise up one person to be a flame and a spark to ignite a forest fire right where they're at. Lord, I thank you for this church and everybody that's taken their time to be here this morning. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here who needs supernatural peace inside their brain would get it. I pray everybody that's struggling in their mind, everybody that can't sit still or be patient or focus, I pray that you would bring healing to them today and that I, through you, would articulate spiritual truths that bring freedom to their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So everybody's on the search for peace. I believe everyone is on the search for peace. Of course, I also believe that we're on the search for love. I think everybody needs to feel loved and know love and know that they're loved and be in real true relationships that are full of love. But everybody is truly searching for peace. There are normal pressures in our everyday life that can rob our peace. There are a lot of responsibilities that can put pressure on us that can make it extremely difficult for us to focus or to pay attention or to have peace in our head. Things like family, work, money, health, and a social life. Those are just a few of the things that all of us have to juggle in some way, shape, or form, or will juggle one day. And those pressures can be very high and very difficult at times. For those of you that don't know, I own a couple of, my wife and I own a few coffee shops. We have 17 employees, soon to be over 20 for the summertime. Our shops are very busy. They're successful. We own the shopping center. I not only uh, have to help manage that, but I also oversee and lead all the leaders and all the volunteers. And then we have a church that's growing, and so investing time and energy to help people here. But more than that, I have a family. And I have a four and a six-year-old, and they are quite a handful. They are quite a handful. And then on top of it all, I'm married. <laughs> and marriage has enough challenges of its own, I'll tell you what. It's like, we, how much more do I need to die, Lord? And my wife says, a lot more. That's how that goes, all right? And so I have a lot on my plate, and I'm very, very busy in the sense that I have a lot of things to oversee. But the challenge is, is if I'm not careful, those things will consume my life and rob my peace. And so today I want to give you who I am, not just what I know. I want to teach you the steps and the things that I do personally to maintain my peace, all right? 
Now, I have moments where I have to contend and I don't feel peaceful, nor do I act peaceful. However, I've learned some things of how to quickly get back to the position of peace. If I'm not walking in peace and rest, which are synonymous, peace and rest are synonymous, then I'll be a pretty angry guy. Trust me. You wouldn't like me. This church wouldn't be where it's at. I'd be a mean pastor. I'd be jaded, and I'd beat the sheep, all right? My preaching would be rough, and sometimes I've got to be firm with you because I'm a father, and I've got to warn you. But in general, my heart is peaceful, it's rested, and I speak from that position, and I live from that position. So the question is, is how do I maintain that? Well, to really maintain that, you've got to get an understanding of what peace really means. First, I want you to know that for me, I know there's only one true source of peace. I know who God is, and I know that God loves me. And I want you to get to that place as you mature and as you grow. You will become more stable over time as you pursue the Lord in his word, stay consistent at church, and get some great friends around you. But sometimes it's hard, no matter what, even with the normal daily things of life, to feel a lot of stress or a lot of uh, loss of peace, right? For example, broken relationships, stress, trauma, debt, and many other things. If you've made a lot of poor decisions financially and you're just swimming in debt, if you've had major traumatic instances in your life, if you're spinning out with friends and your marriage, uh, if you just got fired from your job, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, those are things that I don't necessarily call normal stresses or normal uh, pressures, but those things happen, don't they? Right? And so we have to know that there's normal and then there's not normal. But despite both of those things, God still wants us to maintain peace even in the loss of life, even in trauma, even in broken relationships, even if you bombed it and blew it up really, really good, God still wants you to maintain your peace and learn how to go to the source of peace at all times. And that's what I'm going to teach you this morning. Let me give you some synonyms of peace. These are synonyms of peace. Rest is number one. So you know you're not at peace when you're not rested. That's the first identifier. Relaxed, when you're relaxed and not anxious, which is the first antonym of peace is anxiety. To be still and to be calm, to have harmony in your life, to be tranquil and to be content. Those are all the synonyms of peace. And if you're not content in your life, if you're not tranquil in your life, if you don't have peace in your mind and in your heart and in your life, if you're not rested, if you don't know how to be still and relax, then something's missing and we've got to get some great peace into your life. The antonym of peace first is anxiety. So when we talk about anxiety, which we're going to talk about it a lot as we move forward in this Blind Mind series, there are a lot of reasons why people spin out with anxiety. And anxiety is the exact opposite of being rested and having peace in your life. Another antonym of peace is to have conflict in your life. If you constantly are having conflict or you're worrying or you're afraid or you're distressed, frustrated, or you have discord or you're agitated, I'm hitting a lot of people right now, or you're fighting constantly or there's disharmony or you have hate or hatred in your heart. That is the complete opposite of peace. And so today I'm going to give you what I consider the most practical ways 
to maintain peace in your life. Are you ready? Now, I already told my wife to not give me any looks. <laughs> because you need to understand that more often than not, I'm preaching to myself when I get up here, okay? We're all learning, we're all growing, we're all pioneering, and we're all in process. <clears throat> so let me give you some practical ways to find peace and overcome anxiety. The first thing is to unclutter your mind. If your mind is cluttered, if you have a hamster in your head that's running on a wheel and you can never get rest or find rest, it's often because you have too many things going on at one time or you're worrying or stressing about things you shouldn't be worrying or stress about, which I'll talk about. But if you have too many irons in the fire or you've bit off more than you can chew, sometimes you've got to make the decision to unclutter your mind. I have a pre-bedtime routine where I'd like to uh, listen to worship or I like to read my Bible because I want to have perfect rest when I go to sleep. If you're constantly on social media right before you go to bed, I'm telling you it's going to affect your sleep, all right? So the Bible promises sweet sleep for his beloved, and I know God wants me to have sweet sleep. The other thing that I do is I write down, if I have a bunch of things that I have to do that are on my mind, I write them down. Because when it's bedtime, it's bedtime. You've got to get your rest. Now, I try to get at least about seven hours of sleep. Sometimes it's less. It's rarely more. Once I had kids, my whole sleep cycle changed, and I started waking up a lot earlier. But it's understood that getting good sleep plays a real key factor into having mental health and being strong and feeling good. Running on two, three, four, five hours of sleep can really affect you and also cause increased aging and loss of life over the course of time. So let's unclutter our minds, unclutter our mind. The next thing is slow down. Now that's funny for me to say that, isn't it, Amber? She's got a big smile because I'm a million miles an hour and I'm, I'm, it's go time with me. You know what I mean? But I also have learned to make things make priorities the most important things in my life. I prioritize family. I prioritize rest. I, I prioritize retreats and times with the Lord so that I can learn to be still. It's a discipline that you have to practice. So you've got to learn to slow down. Learn to have quiet time. Learn to have your time. Don't be so busy and go so fast. My wife has helped me with that. I've dialed it back some. She thinks I need to dial it back a lot more, but you know, it's just the way that I'm wired and she helps me with that. The next thing is limit social media. Please people, please, I'm asking you, as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, limit social media. Here's why. Social media causes you to compare yourself or can cause you to compare yourself to what other people are doing. If I consistently watch other preachers that I really like, I find myself saying, man, I just want to give up. I'm not near as good as Bill Johnson or Todd White or Dan Moeller or Kevin Leal or Pastor Chisholm or Brad McClendon. I love them and I listen to their messages. But if I'm not careful with the things I see either on social media or listen to, I find myself in comparison mode and it also eats up gobs and gobs and gobs of your time. I'm telling you. And then a lot of people, because we don't have a personal life for ourselves, maybe friendships, maybe somebody to talk to, will vicariously live through somebody else. 
And that's very, 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 very unhealthy. So please be very careful. Pay attention to the spirit. Be careful of the time that you invest into social media. Focus on what matters the most and prioritize your time. My top two things that matter the most to me are first Jesus and then my family. I take my kids to school. <clears throat> I pick them up a lot of times. I try to keep my evenings free. We don't book our evenings typically with meetings. I come on Wednesday nights most of the time. Sometimes other events come up, and sometimes we will go out for a dinner with somebody. But those are rare because I really protect that time. Getting our kids to bed on time, investing personally into my children is a very, very important thing. So I prioritize. If I didn't spend quality time with the Lord first, it would be a bad situation. And it's the same for you. You're not any different than me. I guarantee you, the same battles you're fighting, I fight. You may have had different experiences, but if you don't learn to have a disciplined spiritual pursuit of the Lord, I'm not putting a heavy burden on you, by the way. This isn't a religious burden. This is me saying, if you really want to bloom and blossom and be free in your mind, you've got to do what's most important, or you're going to fry out, burn out, spin out, and I can assure you it's a slow fade. And you go, how did I get here? Because, and it started a year ago. It started when you stopped reading the Bible six months ago. You understand? So you can never stop sowing to the Spirit and doing the things that matter the most. In, a, in Galatians 6, it talks about sowing to the Spirit so I can reap from the Spirit. But if I sow to the flesh, I reap from the flesh. So the more I binge-watch binge Netflix or, or documentaries or series or movies, the more I eat, the further I get away from reading my Bible or spending time with the Lord, guess what happens? I forget. I don't have a desire. I'm not that interested. It's, it's a slow fade that you find yourself running after the things of this world to find comfort instead of running after the Lord. You know, your soul is always hungry for something. You're, you got a fleshly appetite that has to be crucified. Do you understand? All right? And so prioritize your time of what matters the most. Here's the next one. Accept your past issues and learn to let go. You cannot change your past. You can't change it. But you also can't live in regret. Some of you are living in incredible regret. You bombed your first marriage or your second marriage. You really blew it when you were living in the world or cussed at your kids, and now they're not living for Jesus, or you blew it up. Here's the good thing about Jesus. He's a God of a million chances. You always get a new beginning with him. You get to start new right now. His mercies are new every day, right? Here's the thing about regret. If you have regret in your life, it's often tied to shame, okay? And regret is clearly worldly sorrow. And you know what the Bible says about worldly sorrow? It leads to death. But godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. And then on my next list is just own up to the fact that you blew it. Own your mistakes, guys. Sometimes you did, and sometimes you didn't. But living in the blame game and living in regret will never do you any good. I can't live in regret about the fact that we lost a 32-week child and held a lifeless child in our arms. We can't go back and go, what should we have? What could we have? We overcame that. 
So Amber and I aren't living in past, I can't live in regret about the fact that I wasn't there when my mom died in the hospital or at her house when I was in the hospital and I didn't get to see her for the two days before she passed away. I can't live in regret that I wish I would have done more for my mom before she died. And you know what? Accidents and tragedies happen. And some of you have had an accident or a tragedy happen in your life and you didn't get to say what you wanted to say. Or maybe you had an argument or a fight or even cussed them out before they lost their life and you're feeling so much shame and regret by that. You gotta get healed from that. You can't live in regret. Even when Jesus was on the cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Some of you have bombed it to no end. I get it. But living in regret will never bring freedom and life and healing to you. And you've got to have somebody to talk to so you can get those regrets out and then somebody can correct you. Right? Isn't that right? Because Andy knows what I'm talking about. She lost a son a little over a year ago. And she didn't get to answer the call when he called that night. And, and he was texting, I'm going to take my life. And she had put the phone on silent to take care of a baby. And she's weeping and crying because there's a lot of emotions with it. But she's in the process of healing because she can't live in the regret of what happened. All she can do is realize, look, Maybe I should have, but I couldn't have. I was doing the best I knew to do, and Jesus was there with me, and Jesus was there with him. And I believe and trust that the Lord is going to see me through. So we're breaking shame and regret. Amen? You got that? Okay. So we live in this world where trauma and tragedies happen, but you can't live in regret. You've got to have your issues resolved. No more unresolved issues. And unresolved issues means that you deal with your stuff. And that's why we have a great class here called ROI on Tuesday nights, which the, it's uh, memberships closed now for that class, but we'll have it again. That's why we do our best to meet with you. That's why we preach the way we do. That's why we have Bible study on Sunday morning to get you into relationship with people that know how to help you resolve your issues. You can't live with unresolved issues. They'll kill you. Mark my words. Unforgiveness and bitterness and unresolved issues will, will seriously make you sick mentally and physically. So let's get some forgiveness and healing to your life. You can do it. Start the process. Don't back down. You're in the right place. And even if I touch on something in your life, you're like, man, that really triggered me or that was hard for me, then you know you're in the place to get healing. I promise you. It may take time because some of y'all are a little hard, more hard-headed than others, but you will get there. You will get there. So take responsibility. You know, one of the things that I really like to do is help people that have past church hurts. And people come here a lot with past church hurts or hadn't been to church in 10 years, 40 years. Somebody came up to me the other day and said, I've been to church in five years. And they walk in here and they just love the atmosphere. They love the preaching. They love the worship. And they love the people. And I want to see those people overcome the hurts and pains of religious dysfunction. Even people on my leadership team have experienced real religious dysfunction. I call it institution pollution. They're polluted with institutionalized church systems. But guess what, guys? Not every time was it the pastor and the church's fault. Take responsibility. Maybe you didn't like that that pastor was calling you out for shacking up with you-know-who when you weren't married. And I'm sorry if he didn't do it the right way. But the truth is, is most pastors love Jesus, love people, and really are answering a call that's very difficult. This is not the most easy job. Now, I stay rested because otherwise it, I would probably quit. 
but I'm saying to you that sometimes you're the one that bombed it. Sometimes you're the one that did the double backflip swan dive into your sin and nobody was going to tell you what to do because you weren't born again and didn't love Jesus and you were hard-hearted and you were stubborn. And then you walked away and blamed it on religion. Take responsibility. Own it. Self-deprecate. Get it into the light. No more shame. Get somebody to talk to. Forgive. The next thing is, be honest. The, the number one way to rob your peace is to be deceptive. Just be honest. Just get it in the light. I bombed it. I blew it. I don't want to hide anymore. You know what? I, what I did was wrong. I shouldn't have done it. And now you don't hide or lie anymore. Because dishonesty will be one of the number one things that brings shame and robs peace in your mind. So be honest. The next thing is, stop comparing yourself to me or anybody else. Live your life. Grow in your process. Learn to imitate things that I do. Like I teach you things. I teach you funny things to try to get your attention. Like when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is go to the toilet, open up your Bible. When you get on the throne, go to his throne. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you right now. Because you know what most people do? You get on the toilet. I know what you do. You get on the toilet and you check Fox News. You check CNN. Hopefully not. You check, the, you check Instagram, social media, or email, or text message, or what's the weather going to be today? I get it. But I have, le I, have learned, I have learned to put Jesus first. I understand Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to me. And if I'm not seeking him first, like in the mornings, I have a Bluetooth player in my bathroom. I put on the Bible app, the version, NIV, and I listen to Charlton Heston read me the Bible while I shower and while I do all my stuff. And I turn it up loud because I want the word to get in me constantly. Because once I leave that house, it's go time. You know what I'm saying? And so you got to learn to imitate certain things that I do. And some things you don't want to imitate, but you really want to learn spiritually from me. And you want to have people in your life that you can learn from, but you can't compare yourself because comparison will always make you feel inadequate and less than. You'll not feel so spiritual. And it can happen to me. I've been watching some of Bethel TV and I'm like, man, they're like, they're like just going after it. They got prophetic flags. They got prophetic painters. They got people shouting out. They're not holding back but they've also been doing it like 10 times longer than we have. And if I sit there and live in that world of comparison, I'm gonna feel inadequate and say, man, we just like really stink. You know what I wanted to say, but some of y'all got your kids in here, so I can't say it. So the next thing is, is learn to ask questions instead of assuming. Don't make any assumption that somebody is thinking something. Ask the question. Don't assume that I don't like you or I have an issue with you. It happens all the time. Well, pastor didn't hug me. He walked right by me. He didn't talk to me long enough. I smiled right at him, and he just looked the other way. <laughs> he must be mad at me. He probably sees my issue and doesn't want to <laughs> come around me. 
I'm repelling the pastor. No. You know what? I've learned to never make assumptions. Some of my very best friends in the whole world have busy lives and don't call me sometimes. In fact, sometimes they go two months, three months, six months. Sometimes I'll have a really firm conversation with a friend and I'll somewhat correct them or it'll get real intense and then I don't hear from them for five months. And I think, man, I really upset them. But almost 10 out of 10 times, I didn't. And they just got busy. It was nothing personal. So you know what I learned to do? I just ask. Ask the question. Are you upset with me? Have I done something wrong? I'll shoot a text. Did I, I'm sorry, did I upset you in any way? I haven't heard from you in five months. You know more often what they say? Well, I haven't heard from you either. <laughs> and that's why I've learned the people that I love and respect, I don't care whether they call me or not. My feelings aren't hurt if somebody didn't call me. I just call them. And I'll, be, I'll just keep reaching out to them because if they want to reach out to me, they will. But I want to talk to you. So I call them. I call Brad McClendon two, three times a week. Just, hey, how's it going? Everything okay? He's like, yeah, you doing okay? And when I'm battling anger or I'm battling anxiety, I've got somebody to look up to and talk to that will pull me up higher, all right? And so you've got to have people in your life that will propel you, that will strengthen you, that love you for who you are. I love the definition of a friend. A real friend is somebody that knows everything about you and loves you just the same, all right? So learn to ask, don't make assumptions. The next thing is, is retreat, disconnect. Disconnect, people. Please take a disconnect. Go camping. Go snowboarding. And shut the phone off. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got you. I know. I know what y'all were thinking. Come on, guys. Staying connected and, and to the electronic age and everything that's going on in the news and social media, it's going to fry you out. Take breaks. Disconnect. Have a time or a day where you just shut it down and you make the decision not to look at it. Take a retreat. You know, retreats are really, really powerful. Take a day for yourself. Take a day off a of vacation day. Get your Bible. Go out to Port A. Sit at Roberts Point Park. Go, go do some fishing. Go have a time where you get a real break, a real retreat. I recommend typically a, a couple of days. Every now and then, my wife and I know it's time, and we say, we got to take a night. We'll go to San Antonio. We'll go to Port A. You've got to have times of a retreat, and these are spiritual times, not times to just go disconnect on, and binge watch Netflix, but to take time to invest in the Lord and to hear his voice. Right? So you sow to the Spirit, you reap from the Spirit. Some of you haven't taken a retreat or a day off or a vacation in a long time. You know what? I respect vacations. I respect vacations. Unless they're always taking you away from here. Same with fishing. I love to fish. And I know sometimes best, best weather's on Sunday morning. But you know what? A storm will be right around the corner. I'm going to get my anchor so that I can ride it out whenever it comes. Hey! Whoa! Here's, here's a really big one. Break procrastination. And my wife said, amen. 
<laughs> break procrastination and learn to problem solve. Some of you don't have narratives and understandings of how to handle conflict. In, in all my premarital classes, the top things I deal with are identity and conflict resolution because you're going to have conflict. And if you don't know how to resolve conflict, look people in the eyes and deal with it head on instead of retreating, blaming, fighting. That's ridiculous. Learn to be healthy and problem solve and don't procrastinate. Here's the thing about procrastination. There is always tomorrow. But today, there are things that I could be doing that set me up for success for tomorrow. So in the procrastination, it's like you've got to get things done. Do you know doing things is like my number last, it's my most difficult thing to do, is doing things. I know that surprises you. Now, I've grown in that, but my top thing isn't doer. I'm a visionary. I'm a dreamer. So what do I need? I need people that get stuff done around me, right? But that doesn't preclude me from getting things done. And so... Learning to break procrastination and stop putting things off because putting things off can rob you. And I'm going to teach you an incredible word today that I want to see if you all know. Last service, I stumped the entire congregation with a new word. All right, just a few more things. One thing at a time. One thing at a time. Learn to take things one thing at a time. All right? Plan and think ahead with vision, hope, purpose, and destiny. Have a vision. Do you know the scripture says, without a vision, the people perish? Or another scripture, another version says, without a revelation, the people cast off restraint. Here's what that means. If I don't have a vision of where I'm going, you won't restrain me to get there. And I won't restrain you. If I don't build this church on vision, none of us will stay the course to get there. That's why I always cast the vision. There's a harvest coming. There's hurt people hurting and broken and sick. There's injustices everywhere. God's building a house to train and equip and bring healing. And he's building a family because most people have broken families and they don't know what normal looks like. There's vision. Right? And so you've got to have vision for yourself because without vision, you become hopeless. You have nothing to hope for. And if you're hopeless today, stick around. We're going to help you get some vision for your life, all right? We're going to help you. You can get vision for your life. And then the most practical of them all, if you Google, you know, how to battle anxiety or mental health, some of the top things are exercise, sleep, and diet. And my wife will be teaching in a few weeks, and she's going to tell her story of overcoming and battling anxiety and depression and the things she's done and learned to overcome it. She spoke at the women's retreat, and I heard it was awesome. And so, yeah. And so you've got to exercise. You only have one body. If you are physically sick, I'm telling you it's going to, it's going to affect your mind. And I have battled symptoms of asthma since I was a child, battled pneumonias in and out of the hospital. But I believe, despite the symptoms, that I'm healed. And I understand scripturally that even if the outward man perishes, my inward man is renewed day by day. And I've dealt with some of the most tragic sicknesses, AIDS, cancer, some of that, have, that are surviving and have made it, and some that haven't made it. But what I know is, is that no matter what's happening physically with me, I can maintain peace in my life. But you've got to take care of your body. You've got to. 
And exercise is critical. It produces energy for you. It causes you to feel better about yourself. You got to start eating right. Now, I think I'm the number one greatest breakfast taco eater in this church. I could literally eat at Nona's every single day breakfast tacos. And I got my favorite breakfast tacos, breakfast taco places in town. But you know what I know? I know that if I don't eat healthy and if I don't put good things into my body, it affects everything about me. My energy level, how I act, how I think. I'm exhausted at five o'clock at the end of the day. Even caffeine. Let's talk about caffeine for a minute. Now that I got all y'all's attention, you need to understand that I own a coffee shop. But I tell anyone and everyone they need to learn to fast caffeine. And if you, because here's what happens. (laughs) No, there's no shame today. As long as it was coffee waves. So, yes, I will drink coffee again. I haven't had coffee for a week. I feel fantastic. Really. Your body has a natural way of adjusting to produce natural cortisol and natural energy coupled with diet and exercise, and you can actually really, really feel great. But sometimes coffee can help you feel even better. And so I like coffee. But what happens is, is, is coffee, caffeine can... Over the course of time, your body can require more of it, meaning that you need more and more and more. It used to be one cup, but then it's two cups, and then it's five cups. And then the next thing you know, it's like you can't even think straight. Let me just tell you about my first five days of the fast. I felt like a locomotive ran right over my brain. And I only drink one coffee a day, okay? So do I think coffee is a, is a nice delight from God? Yes, I do. I fully do. But I also know that too much caffeine can cause anxiety. Too much caffeine will make you just crazy. It'll get you jittery. And then what happens is, is you can't, it's hard to function without it. It's like, I got to have it. Now, I know some of you are in that spot right now. What I'm saying to you is consider every so often taking a break. All right? Let your body flush itself out so that you can get back to some normalcy and not have to be so addicted. You get to be partly addicted, but not so addictive. All right. And the last thing on this, my practical list. This is my practical list. The last thing is your friendships. The Bible says to avoid toxic people. Did you know that? I'll show it to you today. I'll show it to you. Toxic people in your life will make you toxic. And the scripture says, now I'm talking about really more so about Christians. Some of my really, really lost friends are the most least toxic people I know. You know what can be really toxic? Somebody that lays claim to knowing Jesus and preaching a false gospel. Whoa. You hear me? I think that's the greatest injustice in our land today is people laying claim to knowing God and Jesus and being a Christian and living contrary to what the gospel really says. And the Bible says those people are deceptive and they're gonna, they'll bring deception into our own life. So what I want to give you now is a couple of things. First, I want to say that my life and the practical ways that I just shared with you 
of finding peace includes the things that I just mentioned to you. I also want to say that all of those things are spiritual. The practical is spiritual. The practical is spiritual. However, the spiritual doesn't always make perfect sense or seem practical. Here's what I mean by that. In the last two parts of this series, I have focused on the most important foundations I believe to deal with mental illness. The first week when I preached, I preached about breaking the stigma of mental health or mental sickness, that we have to learn to accept and to help and to bring comfort to people's lives, comfort from the Lord by our hands and our heart and our feet and also from him spiritually. I also talked about how the church needs to work in tandem with psychologists, psychiatrists, and counselors, and that, yes, even taking medication can help you get to the place where you can think straight and be healthy. I broke down the stigma, and I made it very, very clear that there's no shame. Then the next week, last week, I talked about being spiritually minded instead of carnally minded, and I talked about what it means to have the mind of Christ. Because if you're not born again, we're waste, I'm wasting my breath. I may inspire you for a moment. You may go, man, I'm feeling the conviction. But until you answer that conviction, until you step into being born again, you can't adequately deal with mental health issues in your life. Because only the mind of Christ can fully resolve mental sickness. Is that a process? Yes. Do you need therapy sometimes? Sure. But without Jesus, I made it explicitly clear, I think that it's a futile point. Don't you? That's what I think. All right? But when I say you need to be born again or when you need to be spiritually minded, for some of you, it's like, what does that even mean? It's like right over my head. So we have to give a spiritual articulation from heaven to help you understand, and then God has to be piercing your heart at the same time because I co-work, co-labor with the Lord. I can preach the most fiery, awesome, I mean the presence of God could pour out in this place with flames of fire everywhere, and you still not give your life to Jesus because you got to answer the call, and the Holy Spirit has to be working on your heart to get you to answer. The, Jesus said no one comes to the to uh, him except the Father draws them. So there has to be a drawing. Do you understand that? So these are spiritual examples above and beyond the practical examples, which they both are spiritual to me. How about being baptized in the Holy Spirit? I can't emphasize enough how important it is that you pray in tongues. I'm going to at some point teach you in 1 Corinthians 14, the Apostle Paul says, when I pray in an unknown tongue, my mind is unfruitful. There's a YouTube video that shows where they hooked up to somebody to a brainwave machine and they had them pray in tongues and it went flat. Because when you pray in tongues, it's God's reset. The world's reset is electroshock therapy. God's electroshock therapy is praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you right now, you got to get hungry for this. Because when you pray in the Spirit, you don't know how to pray as you ought to. You're praying mysteries of God. And it actually deals with the mind. The reason why it's so hard for some of you to pray in tongues and to get to that spot where you just let go and let the Spirit lead you and you trust Him is because your mind is getting in the way. But we'll deal with that at a later time. So these are important foundations. Having faith in the unseen, trusting when you're broken, and having hope in the unknown. 
It's easy for me to say, hey, have faith, trust, have hope. But if you're broken, if you're in a crisis situation, you can't see the immediate answer. I had somebody come up to me the other day and said, I want to believe in Jesus, but I just can't see him. You know what I said? I said, you're looking right at him. Now, I'm not Jesus, but Jesus is in me, all right? That's my point. And he sends his hands and feet as his body to be earthly representatives of who he is. And so it's very, very important for you that you have faith, hope, and love and trust no matter what you're facing. Hearing God's voice when your head is full of head noise. How many of you know, I've taught this a long time ago, the word cacophony. Some of you got cacophony of the head. That's your disease. You got spiritual cacophony sickness. You know what cacophony is? It's a, it's a variety of noises and sound, sounds, particularly in music, that have no harmony and are full of discord. They make no sense. And it brings straight up confusion and darkness into your mind. And that's why some of us are listening to all kinds of things in this world. Even modern day news, even the news feeds of what's happening in politics can be cacophony inside your head. Now, do I watch some of that? Yes. Do I know what's happening? Yes. But I don't binge out on it. It ultimately can become, fill my head with head noise and cacophony that's unhealthy. All right? You guys doing okay? Okay. You got to find time to spend Jesus and you got to learn not to fear even when you're traumatized. Some of you are single parents and have been through really hard times and it's difficult, but you can do it. You can do it and I believe in you. Being confident when you're sick, keeping your joy when your marriage is a mess. Nothing affects me as much as when Amber and I aren't on the same page. I guarantee you. It's, it, it'll be my greatest source of frustration and it'll be my greatest source of joy. And I've learned that I can maintain confidence and joy even when there's conflict. You know why? Because you're going to have conflict. You don't run and avoid it. Don't be passive aggressive. Learn to talk and communicate. Learn to find the times to deal with the issues. All right, so there's so much more, and regardless of the circumstances, you can maintain your peace. But today, I'm going to give you quickly, before we close and pray, I'm going to give you my greatest things that I do personally from a spiritual standpoint, to bring peace to my life. I will give you who I am, not just what I know. Instructors give you what they know. Fathers will give you who they are. So I'm telling you that I love you enough to tell you, <clears throat> how do I maintain my peace, and what scriptures do I use to fight the good fight, all right? <clears throat> the first thing is, is I learn to stand firm on his instruction and earnestly contend with diligence. Let me teach you about the word diligence. Whenever you see the word diligence in the New Testament, it's the exact English word for speed. Okay? The word speed, the English word speed, comes from this word in the Greek. And it means to make, to be diligent means to make haste, to be hasty, to be eager, and to move with God's speed. And what the scripture's saying, let's pull this up, Romans 12, 11. <clears throat> the scripture's saying that we should not lag. You know what it means to lag? It means you're falling behind. It means you're being slothful. Now, let me just tell you all how much I love you so that you know before I tell you this. <laughs> About 10 out of 10 times when you're spinning out, you have been lagging. 
most of the time, people are not being diligent with their spiritual life. I'm gonna say it like I've said it a thousand times before. Nobody's ever come to me and said, Pastor, man, I heard God's voice. I've been reading my Bible. I, he's talking to me. It's, it's, oh, it's just been so awesome. But you know what? I'm still so depressed. Because it's an oxymoron. God's word and the Bible and his presence transform you to have hope and life and joy, not to be so depressed. And so what I'm saying to you is you've got to invest the time and be diligent in your life, which means you're eager and you're speedily rushing to what? Spend time with Jesus, be with him, commune with him, and listen to him. The next thing is fervent in spirit. You know this is going to be one of my top things. Fervent is the actual word for zeal, which means to royal hot water or boiling hot water. It's scalding hot water. And it means to be really, really flamed on in my spirit. And I'm going to show you in a minute how I keep my spirit flamed on. So God wants us to be fervent in the spirit. It means to not be lazy. It means to progress and to be hot. Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because it doesn't taste good or it'll make you nauseous and sick. And what he's saying is you got really one option. Your option is either be hot or be hot. That's your option. I don't care what anybody says. I'm not giving you all any out at Rock City Church. I expect you all to be flamed on and to press in. Now, it'll take some of you time. And thank you for being here. But in time, if you'll stay the course and keep pressing, you will flame on if you hang around here. Amen. I promise you. So then he goes on to say, serving Jesus, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuously being steadfast. One of my favorite words in the New Testament is this word steadfast. The word steadfast means to be resolute, firm, unwavering, unwavering, constant, devoted, continuous, and courageous in what? In prayer. Now I ask people all the time, you pray? So yeah, I pray. So okay, well tell me how you pray. I measure it. So well, I ask God for this and I tell him what I need and what I want and I pray for my friends and you know, I'm, I'm talking to God about the things that you know, I need in my life, or say my prayers for my kids before I go to bed. I say a quick prayer before bed. I say, is that it? They say, yeah. I said, well, you're only half praying. Because prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. As I've matured and grown over the course of time, and I know this is going to be shocking for some of you, I've learned to listen more and talk less. <laughs> Literally. I learned to commune with the Lord in a conversation. I have conversations with God. And I'm to, be, I'm to continue steadfast. It means continuously without ceasing. And what that means is I'm not always walking around just praying out loud. It means I'm communing with God in my heart. It means I have a God conscience. It means in my spirit, I've got his spirit and we're talking to each other. You understand? Okay. Verse 13, distributing the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. I have found one of the greatest ways for me to have the most joy in my life is when I give away what God's given to me. If you're not preaching the gospel or sharing your faith or opening your mouth or praying for the sick, 
and you just keep coming to church every week and week out, or just reading your Bible and have your Devo time, you will be a lazy, fat Christian. I'm just telling you, if you want more oil and more fuel, what do you gotta do? You gotta burn it up. So you know how you burn it up? You give away what God's given to you. And my greatest joy and peace outside of my children and my family is when I see you flame on. So when I see Stephanie, who's had a background of, of drug addiction and broken marriages and relationships, and she's young and she's very pretty, but she spun out many, many times and had children in the foster care system. Start coming here and get born again and gets flamed on and gets part of the family. <clears throat> I'm so proud of you. The joy that I get when seeing your little kids or when I pull through the Wendy's drive-thru and I see you poking your head out and handing my kids a cheeseburger because she got promoted to the manager at Wendy's. Powerful. You think that doesn't bring some good peace and joy? Because it's a reward. And when you get your reward, you're like, oh, this feels so great. Right? Can I get, go a little bit longer? Are you guys tired? Well, hopefully you haven't turned me off on YouTube or online, but I got y'all here, so I'm going to keep going, okay? So giving away what God's given to you, you have to. If you want to grow and you want more, give it away. Go to, the, go to Station Church. We're going to have greater and bigger outreaches in, at this church. We're going to be using our parking lot for huge, huge parties that are outreaches to our community. It's going to happen. Right now, we're focusing on building a house internally, but we do do a lot of things externally. Get on board with those things. Go out for prophetic evangelism. Hook up with people that are doing the things out in the streets. Or when you go to Stripes, or you go to HEB, or you go to Sprouts, or wherever it is that you shop, love on somebody. Don't be afraid. It happens to my wife and I all the time. We go out. We're out on a date. I just feel somebody I'm drawn to. And I walk over and say, listen, I just saw you over there. I just felt like I need to tell you this. Jesus really loves you, and he knows what you're going through. That may be the most basic word, but just what they needed to hear to transform their life in that moment, right? And then hospitality. I can pick out probably about 150 of you that are really good at hospitality here. You know how to throw a party, <laughs> right? Let me tell you about being given to hospitality. Hospitality puts you in relationship and hosts people. Open up your homes. Have people over that are healthy, that are hungry to grow. Don't invite all your old toxic friends over for a drink and, you know, beer pong party. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about your time is rich and you're, given to ho you're hospitable to one another. You know, when people walk in this church, my greatest desire is that they feel hosp hospitable and they feel loved. That's what I want, because people will come here for the experience, but they'll stay for the relationship. Do you understand? Amen. Okay? All right. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to move through these scriptures quickly so you can write them down, and I'll give you a few key things, and then we're going to pray. Jude 1, 3. Beloved, I was very diligent. Remember, we talked about the word diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. Our salvation is common. You know what? That doesn't mean it's lame or it's just another common thing. It means that we all have a mutual benefit 
and we have something in common, which means you're not alone. Let's everybody say this together. Say, I'm not alone. alone. You're not alone. And so we have a common salvation. He said, I found it necessary to write to you and exhort you or build you up and strengthen you to do what? To contend earnestly for the faith, which was once delivered to the saints. I have learned that I must contend earnestly every minute of every day of my life. And I don't care whether everybody else will or won't or if I'm alone in it. It doesn't matter. You won't be alone in it, but the point is is sometimes you'll feel alone in it. You've got to be spiritually aggressive full-time. It's full-time. you got to be sober-minded and diligent in your prayers and being always watchful because the enemy is crafty. He's super crafty. And he takes his time. He's a snake that's subtle, that hides when you least expect it, and then strikes you. And one snake bite can cost six months, a year, or years of your life from spiritual growth. And so the level of intensity and aggressiveness needs to be greater than the level of intensity in which you lived in the world. Because some of y'all, when you were partying, you went all out. You were the club queen. You were the club king. You know who you were. You were up on the tables drinking and partying, and you were wild and crazy, sleeping around and hooking it up. Not all y'all, but a lot of you. And what I'm saying to you is that's the way I used to be. So let me explain this to you. I am extreme. I have an extreme personality. That's how I live. If I was extreme about drugs and alcohol and sleeping around and partying, I am a thousand times more for Jesus. Do you got that? That's right. So you've got to earnestly contend. You've got to earnestly contend. And so I fight a good fight. Everybody say, it's a good fight. Good 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good, what? It's called good warfare. You know what? It's bad warfare when you just got napalmed by the enemy. It's bad warfare when you just got shot. It's called waging the good warfare. And that's why this is a prophetic church. And in June 5th through the 9th, Prophet Kevin Leo will be here, and he's going to prop this church out. That's what's going to happen. Y'all should have, I didn't get a lot of, maybe y'all don't know who Prophet Kevin is yet. But I'm just telling you, he's a real prophet, and he's a father, and he's full of love, and nobody has impacted my life as much as he has. But he's firm, and he prophesies. And some of you have never had a prophetic word in your life. On, on Friday night, when I came to speak to Regen, I picked a couple people out and prophesied. This Wednesday night will be Supernormal Natural Night, and I'm going to prophesy. Because when you get prophetic words in your life and people lay hands on you and pray for you, it makes a deposit. So I'm warring with my experiences and my deposits. Do you get it? I have something in me to grab onto when I might be struggling with my peace. Make sense? That's why you got to get aggressive. You got to get aggressive to get in the spirit and get the things that God has for you. 1 Timothy 6.12. I love this. I use this almost every day of my life. Fight the what? Now, did any of y'all ever used to actually like really fight? Now, Reuben, don't lie. Did you ever lose a fight? Would you, one time, would you say that was a good fight? No. You know when it's not a good fight? When you lose, all right? It's called fight the good fight. And you walk away and go, man, that was a good fight, right? 
In the spirit, it's called fighting the good fight of what? Faith is the foundation, the most elementary principle of your life. We walk by faith, not by sight. The just live by faith. The word of faith is in my heart and on my mouth. I don't need to send somebody else to go get it. Moses doesn't have to ascend. Who can say to Jesus again, ascend or descend? He's already done it. Jesus is in your heart. So you got the word of faith. It's a good fight. I'm, I know some of you may be fighting right now with your paychecks and your friends and even spouses and family. But you know what? Make it a good fight. Make it a good fight by faith. Listen to God's voice and fight right. You got that? <clears throat> now I'm going to teach you how you stay flamed on in your mind. 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God. Another version says, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a what? You can't have the one scripture without the other. We always quote verse 7. Well, God's not giving me a spirit of fear, but he's given me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. But check out the verse before. The verse before is so powerful. He says, stir up the gift or fan into flame. If you research in the Greek in your blue letter Bible what it means to stir up or fan into flame, it literally means to inflame or enkindle your mind with passion. It means to fire up your head. That's what it means. It means to arouse and inspire an emotion or feeling. So you're like, I don't, I don't need all that emotionalism. Let me tell you something. God's emotional, and when I start praying in tongues, and we start going after it in the Spirit, I get pretty emotional. I'm fanning myself into flame. I'm expressive. I express myself. I move, and I go after it. And that's why it says you've got to fan yourself into flame, or you've got to stir up your feelings and emotions and get excited. Because the devil wants to numb you out and get you quiet. And we got a, a nice, good group of quiet Christians. Doesn't sound good to me. So we fan into flame. Or we, another great word is we re-enkindle, meaning we fan back into flame what was once flamed on. So maybe you were once, it's time to get back there. It means to blow oxygen on a fire and to light up. It means... Light me up. I'm blowing some oxygen on my fire. Lord, breathe on me so that I can be lit up and stay flamed on for you spiritually in everything that I do. All right? And it says to stir up the gift. You know what the gift means? The gift means favor that you didn't deserve. It means a gift of divine grace. It means a deposit. It's the word charisma. It means to, to have the gift of faith, knowledge, holiness, virtue, and the power that comes with it in your soul. So I'm stirring up the deposit in me. Yeah. And I'm not going to wait idly by and say, man, oh, Jesus, just take me over. to God, I'm just waiting on you. He says, no, I'm waiting on you. And so I war with my deposits. And if you haven't had a deposit, you need one. That's why we worship the way we do. That's why we're, people come up here to worship. It's an experience. 
We're not consumer Christians. We're not an audience. We're an army. And we're not coming to just hear a nice message to tickle our ears and make us feel better when we leave on a Sunday morning. We're here to be transformed and to grow and to flame on to make a difference. That's why I'm here and my wife's here. We didn't sign our line on this, our name on this shopping center for $2.8 to have a nice, comfy church. I'll leave you with just one more scripture. I have plenty more. I'm going to leave you with this. Who is the source of all peace? You know why? Because Isaiah 9.6 says that he's the prince of peace. You know what the word prince means? The word prince means he's the source or the one that is the head and the chief of all peace. The peace that comes from Jesus, you will never get from the things of this world. Jesus said it's a peace that passes all understanding. <clears throat> but to a Christian who knows him, I can understand it. And you may say, how do you get your peace? I don't know, man. All my world's caving in, but I'm maintaining my peace and my joy and my course because Jesus is my peace. And so if in this world we run to drugs and alcohol and, and sleeping around or whatever it is that we run to to find comfort and it doesn't bring peace, why wouldn't I constantly go to my source to reach and grab on to the peace, right? And at the same time, he's inside of me. He's in me and he's up there. So I'm like, Lord, shower down, rise it up. I believe you're in me. So peace comes from him. He's the prince of peace. You won't find peace anywhere else. I promise you. And some of us live 20, 30 years of just spinning out trying to find it elsewhere, and here we are. But how about if we can help our children and these young adults never go the way we went? I don't want any of y'all to ever spin out, okay? None of the young adults should spin out. Stay the course. God's got the best for you. He's got the best husband. He's got the best wife. He's got the best future for you. Everything is a sacrifice that you'll pay for later. Make the right choices now so that you can take health and wholeness into your future. That's what I'm trying to say. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he gives a peace that nobody else gives. And I'm going to quote you my number one. Actually, I say number one. Really, it might be Psalm 16. But in Psalm 16, David said, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, you can't shake me. He actually said, I won't be shaken. But he says, I've set the Lord always. Everybody say always. always. You can't shake me. Psalm 16, 8. You say, is, is that cockiness? Is that haughtiness? Is that arrogance? No. And I've only learned how to put the Lord in front of me a lot after a lot of failures. But now I want you to understand this final verse. I had so many others to share, but good thing is blind mind can go the rest of the year if it needs to. Here it is. You guys ready? Isaiah 26.3. Can I just tell you how much I love this scripture? This scripture to me means so much because I recognize and realize that God has perfect peace available for my life. And Isaiah 26.3 the scripture says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I'm going to teach you now about the word stayed. First of all, the word stayed means I'm staying and I ain't leaving. I'm here to stay. It means Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And it means that he's the author and finisher of your faith. And it means that I fight the good fight of faith together with him and my mind is stayed on him. It also means to lean on. It means to fully rest upon. It means to have, a, have 
a brace for yourself at all times so that you don't fall. It means to rest, lean, and brace yourself against. Who do we rest and lean and brace ourselves against? How often? Stayed because I trust him. And you know why I trust him? Because I've overcome so much heartache. Because I've been forgiven of so much. Because of his comfort and his kindness. Because he took a guy like me that was abandoned and orphaned as a child. A guy like me that spun out on alcohol and drugs and using people. A guy like me that lived on the streets and went to prison. He took a guy like me and he picked me up out of the muck and the mud and the miry clay. And he put my feet on solid ground. And my life has never been the same since I gave my, my life to Jesus. 27 years ago, my world caved in from Hurricane Andrew. Prison time, my life was a mess. But I now know through trusting him, putting my hope and faith in him, through his mercy, through his kindness, through good family, through his word, through multiple spiritual disciplines of staying the course because I love him. And even when I bombed it and I blew it, guess what I had? And guess what you have? Forgiveness. And you know what? I just forgive you all right now. Whatever it is. I just release forgiveness right into your life. What if you could walk out of this room today and not carry any of the shame and the failures or whatever you did last night or if you fought on the way to church, whatever it was. You know how much I need forgiveness? You know how much we need forgiveness? Seven times 70 a day, which is, I taught you this last week, every three minutes. Just so you know, all right? Just so you know. And so today, I don't want you to carry that shame. You've got to come to the Prince of Peace. You've got to be born again. Jesus gave his life on the cross and shed his blood and did what you could never do. And while you were in your most greatest sin, Romans 5 says, he gave his life, he shed his spirit, and he died on the cross for you. He paid the price. So why would you keep carrying it? Why keep carrying those fleshly desires and sinful nature and all the failures when you can have a clean slate and a fresh new start. You know what the Bible says about his mercy? It's new every morning. You got new mercy today. You just got to take hold of it. And so today, if you've been battling in your mind and fighting and strife and division and everything opposite of peace, we want to pray for you. And we have people here that can pull you up. We have people here that can surround you, speak into your life, even prophesy or speak into the dreams of your life or encourage you and comfort you. At some point, you have to answer the call and say yes and let the guard down. You gotta let somebody invade your space. That's what I did. Just bring it to the light. Hey, you know, I just need to tell you I'm coming up today. I really bombed it. Well, come here, let me give you a hug, and let's pray that you don't bomb it again. And let's ask the Lord to reveal why you bombed it and how you can get some healing in your life. That's not that complicated. We make it a lot more harder than it should be. Wouldn't you agree? Let's all stand.